There was a day when, if you mentioned preaching, the terms hell, fire, and damnation went right along with it. This is no longer the case. The caricature of an Elmer Gantry who yells and hollers about going to hell while he himself is breaking every moral standard in the book have made preachers gun-shy about telling people about judgment and hell. Instead, if you take a look at the sermon titles for this coming Sunday, you will see themes like Dreams Can Come True, The Jesus Keys to Leadership and Success, and How to Develop Your True Love Connections. I can't help but think that we have Americanized Jesus into some super motivational, positive-thinking guru. I think we have forgotten that he is the ultimate judge who will decide where each of us will spend eternity. Today's study takes us into Revelation 22, 12-17, a passage that confronts us with two groups of people. One group have washed their robes white and are invited into the joys of heaven, while the other group are called the outsiders. What determines which group you are in? Here's Dave with our study titled, the insiders and the outsiders. I remember when I first moved down here from upstate New York, you know, all my friends were telling me, man, you know, you live in Texas now and you're never going to experience any cold weather. And, and then suddenly the temperature dropped from 80 to 20 and I realized, good night, this is the coldest I've ever been with a little bit of moisture mixed in and that vicious wind. It's a killer. As we are experiencing the Blue Northern, I was reminded of several years ago, Dave Lowry's dad, Fred, came down to visit his grandkids. And Fred is a stalwart Pennsylvanian. He was raised in, in that area of the Amish country of Pennsylvania. And he's up there where it really gets cold. In fact, you have to dodge black buggies from all the Amish people. And you just think of a, a winter scene in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You can just picture the snow and the beauty of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Fred came down here to be in sunny Texas. Al Bauckham called him up and said, hey, Fred, come on out. I want you to work on my ranch for a little bit. And Fred volunteered. It really meant he would ride around in Al's green truck a little bit, check on some of the cattle. And Fred took off. And uh, Dave and Deb figured, man, you know, Dad will be gone for several hours with Al. And so they took off. But Al really didn't work Fred very long in just a few, maybe an hour or so. And he came back over there in South Park and he left Fred off. And then the green truck just took off. Fred confidently went to the front door and he knocked on the front door and tried to open it. Nobody there. The door is locked. He goes to the back door, walks to the garage, tries the back door of the garage and Dave and Deb were security conscious. Man, that door, even in the garage, man, it's locked. He checks the windows. He is locked out on the outside. To make matters worse, a blue norther had blown in, so the temperature was dropping, and it was cold. And here's Fred locked outside of the house. All of our memories a little bit dim, but Dave said that he thinks he remembers coming back and his dad was sitting like on a milk carton, one of those old wooden milk cartons in the garage, you know, shivering as they walked in. There's nothing worse than being locked out in the cold. Have any of you ever been locked outside in the cold? That is a bad news thing. But as we close the book of Revelation, we look at John's conclusion, we're going to find out that there's something worse than being locked outside in the cold. 
And that's being locked outside in the heat. And the heat that Revelation is talking about is the ultimate heat of the lake of fire. Because John closes his book of Revelation, he talks about those who are outside. And he talks about those who are inside. All of you at one time or another in your life have felt like an outsider. Can anybody remember being at a party when you felt like an outsider? Anybody remember going to a new school and you're the brand new person and you go the first day of school and you are definitely on the outside? In our life, being an outsider is one of the most you know, debilitating and difficult things to ever have to deal with. And the Apostle John is concerned about the ultimate division between the insiders and the outsiders. But interesting enough, we find that the dividing line is very different from what we're used to. We're used to the dividing line being those on the inside and those on the outside. Those on the inside are those that are handsome, those that are beautiful, those that are athletic, those that are, those that are intelligent, those that have great natural gifts, those that make a lot of money. As far as this world perspective is concerned, they're on the inside. But as John closes the entire revelation of God, we're going to find out that the insiders, from God's perspective, is a totally different group. I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, and let's begin talking about those that are on the inside. And the Lord Jesus makes another tremendous promise. We find out that the thundering anthem of Revelation 22 is, I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. If you look here at verse 12, we have that refrain picked up again. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And there we read, the Lord Jesus speaking. It says, behold, and that's a word that means, listen to me. I want you to pay attention. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. He says, behold, see this. I am coming soon. That's the promise to all of you that are on the inside. If you're here today and you've come to know this precious Savior, you've come to know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that Jesus' cry to you, indeed, listen to me. See to it. Remember, behold, I'm coming soon. That's one of the greatest promises. It's one of the greatest good news that you can ever hear. That's the words like a bridegroom that's going to come back home. That's the words, behold, I'm coming soon. And when Jesus comes, it's going to thrill our hearts. I want the coming of the Lord. I want it to be something that thrills you. I want it to be something that's exciting to you. Remember that story that I told you when Jonathan and Leslie, my oldest son and his wife now, were courting. They were beginning to fall in love. And remember I told you how they met each other at graduation time. And then Jonathan split just a few weeks after they met. And he went over to, over to Israel and he studied in Israel for a solid year. All the way, really not quite a year, but into the spring of the next year. And he wasn't going to come home. Leslie went and saw him over the Christmas break. And when she left him at Christmas time, she thought she wouldn't see him till deep in the spring. I was skiing in January, just a little bit after Jonathan had been here in the States. And he called me up, and I, and I knew that he was going to have a break in his studies. There was going to be time at Hebrew University between semesters, and Jonathan would be able to have, and he was telling me with some friends he was going to go to London. And suddenly at 5.30 in the morning, I got this call. Here it was Jonathan. And Jonathan says, Dad, I got a special deal for you. 
I said, you're not in London? He said, no, I'm not going to be in London. In fact, I found that it's going to be way too expensive to go to London, and I've already been to London with Joel, and I don't really want to go to London. He said, well, your other plan was to go to Turkey. Are you going to go with some friends to Turkey? He says, no. I said, well, where are you going to go? He says, I'm going to come back home to see you. I said, what in the world are you going to do that for? He says, man, it's the cheapest thing I can do. I said, no, wait a minute, Jonathan, you're in Israel, and this is back in Texas. There, at that point, I was in New Mexico. I said, how in the world can it be the cheapest thing in the world for you to take this about a week and a half break and come back to the United States because you're going to pay half of the airfare, Dad, and I'm going to pay half the airfare, and that'll be the cheapest thing in the world. Boy, I love the proactiveness of love. (laughs) And then it was really fun because Leslie had no idea. We called her up and said, Leslie, we want to come down and eat lunch with you. We'll get Joel and Courtney, and we're going to have you give a report on your Israel trip. Well, Leslie was in the early stages of getting to know us, and she's like Mary is, and you know, she didn't really want to you know, be outward and open. She was making sure her bases were covered, and you know, Mary and I were trying to figure all that out. And boy, Leslie wrote an email to Jonathan saying, what in the world am I going to do with your parents for an entire lunch? Well, the plan was we had it all rigged out. We went, to a re- we went to a restaurant in Austin. We talked to the maitre d', and Jonathan was hiding back in the office, back in some of the kitchen area. Leslie comes in. We've got Joel and Courtney there. Um, Josh and Janae, I think, were able to be down with us. And then Mary and I are sitting the other, other side of the table. Leslie's sitting right across from us. And suddenly, Jonathan comes through the back of that restaurant, kind of filtering through the people. And Mary had a new camera. She says, man, let me take a picture of all of you together. And so Joel and Courtney and Leslie get in there really close. And we get all the kids on the other side of the table. And suddenly, Jonathan put his arm around Leslie and said, can I get in this picture? That's one of the neatest surprises that I've ever been able to participate in. Leslie just literally shook She was so excited. Why? Because behold, he came. Her lover had come and totally surprised her. And she was overwhelmed with joy because the man that she loved, the man that she coveted, the man that was going to be hers had come back. That's what it means when Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. He's saying, I'm going to surprise you. And I'm going to come for you. And and the Lord wants that to be a tremendous promise for you today. I don't want the idea of the coming of Jesus to put tremendous fear in it. And some of you have heard messages where you feel so guilty. And some of you are sitting there going, well, I don't want Jesus to come back. The perfect love of the Lord Jesus casteth out fear. The book of Revelation was written to some people that were standing against the forces of Antichrist. They were standing against this kingdom of Babylon. They were standing in opposition to those that were opposed to God. And Jesus gives them this tremendous promise. Behold, I'm coming quickly. But then he says, my reward is with me. Look what he says. Behold, I'm coming and my reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I want you to understand that in the kingdom of God, Jesus is really fair. That he's really judging. You say, well, Dave, does that mean that the good people are going to get to heaven and the bad people go to hell? Those that work hard in their own strength will be able to make it into heaven and those that don't are going to be cast aside? No. You know very clearly from this book that you have to wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. 
You need to behold the lamb that was slain and you need to trust him. And John the Apostle could not be clearer. This is the Apostle that wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that if anyone believes in him, they should not perish, but have everlasting life. John is the author of those verses. He's the one that wrote, These things have I written unto you that you might know for sure that you have eternal life. John, if any other apostle is the apostle of faith alone, John the apostle with the apostle Paul is that man. So you say, well, Dave, what's this business about Jesus saying that when he comes, he's going to reward us according to what we've done? Because I want you to understand that in the word of God, our commitment to Christ is never divorced from our life in Christ. Our commitment to Christ is never divorced from the reality of actions in our life. The Bible's saying that when you invite Jesus to come into your life, he makes a real change in your life. He makes you really good. He makes a new identity inside of you. And everyone that's truly born again, in the very depth of their being, in their real personality, there is a commitment to God's standards, a commitment to God's goodness. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with the old nature. It doesn't mean that sometimes there's not the victory of the old nature. But what John wants you to understand, that if you really come to know Jesus, then there is some real goodness that's created inside of you. It is the new life of Christ that was implanted inside of you, that gave you new life. And I want you to understand something, is that new life inside of you is not make-believe. It's real, it's powerful. And what Jesus is saying is that when he comes back for his children, he will be able to reward them for the things that they've done through the power of Christ. In fact, a lot of this coming, this idea of behold, I am coming, it goes back to some verses in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah liked to talk about the coming of Yahweh. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, let me just read those verses to you. The Lord Jesus said it. This is Yahweh in the Old Testament, and Jesus is repeating this idea in Revelation. He wrote this in Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes. The Lord comes. Behold, he comes with power. And his arm rules. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him, and see, his reward is with him. In the context of Isaiah, God's chosen people in the Old Testament were suffering persecution. In Isaiah's day, they were under the rule of Assyria. Assyria was threatening the kingdom of both Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Many of the people that worshipped Yahweh were living in a country where many of their countrymen had abandoned the worship of Yahweh. They weren't committed to Yahweh anymore. They were worshipping the god of Baal. They were worshipping Ashtaroth, the goddess of storms and lightning and the goddess of war. And they were worshipping all these Canaanite deities. When Isaiah wrote the words that, Behold, the Lord is coming, what it was 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 an assurance to those that had remained true to the worship of Yahweh, the true God that had delivered them from Egypt, those that remained faithful, Isaiah promised there will come a day when the Lord will come and he will come as a great conquering king and you will be proved that you chose the right side. Remember in the stories of King Richard and Robin, in the Robin Hood stories, you have King Richard on his crusade. 
and his terrible brother has taken over the kingdom. Remember those stories? And Robin Hood and his, and his merry men are trying to stand against the forces of this wicked king. And a lot of the, you know, the sheriff of Nottingham and everything is joined with that wicked king. And, and there's rebellion in the land and there's treachery against King Richard. And Robin Hood remains faithful to the real king. At the end of the Robin Hood story, Richard returns. Richard comes back and he vanquishes his wicked brother and Robin Hood is rewarded. He is given recompense because he chose the right side. That's the idea of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 40 is saying, it begins, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And it promises that the Lord is going to send a great herald that will prepare the way and then suddenly the Lord himself will come. John the Apostle knows those verses well. And he's telling you today and he's telling us as believers, just as certainly as Yahweh promised to come in the Old Testament, Jesus is Yahweh and he promises to come. And he will reward those who remain faithful to the true king. One of the biggest decisions you'll make in your own life is are you going to be on the side of Jesus or on the side of the anti-Jesus forces? Those are the big, big areas. The insiders are those that remain committed to Jesus. The outsiders are those that just become part of the world system, fall in love with the world system. They just follow the wage of the world. And John is promising that when Jesus returns, he will reward everyone according to how they remain faithful to him. And if you have decided in your heart that you're going to let Jesus inside of you, then he creates new creations, a new life inside of you. And you will be rewarded for that. I want you to know that God is good and God's going to come through for you and there's going to be a great confidence when he comes back. And if you have chosen him and you have lived for him, it's going to be a tremendous time of celebration. Isaiah 62 verse 11 is another verse that John has in the back of his mind. Isaiah 62 11 reads like this. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth, to the daughter of Zion. See, your Savior comes. So his reward is going to be with him and his recompense that comes with him. The same idea Isaiah repeats again as he closes the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 62, 11 is the same idea. Your Savior is going to come. You are a captured people. You are a subjugated people. The forces of darkness are persecuting you, just like has been happening in the book of Revelation. And Yahweh promises it's going to be worth it that you chose me. Because you're going to be an insider in the ultimate kingdom that really counts. That's the first thrust I want you to see. That he's going to reward those that have remained faithful to him. Let me pick up some New Testament patches, though, that talk about this business of works. That scripture talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, so we make it our goal to please him. The Apostle Paul speaking. He says, we make it our goal to please the Lord Jesus. Whether we are at home in this body, whether we live physically or whether we're away from this body, we're taken in physical death. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about an individual who builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble. His work will be shown for what it is. Because the day was going to declare it. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will re be, receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. 
He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You say, Dave, what in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about? The same thing that the Apostle John is talking about. He's saying that if you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, it produces ethical change in your life. It produces ethical change in your life. We talked last week. We talked last week about total commitment to the king and that that total commitment to the king meant that we have to be obedient and truthful in the marketplace. One of our church family faced an interview, and they face an interview tomorrow, where they're going to have to give an account of their career. They're going to have to talk about their past. And as they thought about their past, as they were going through it, asked them a question about had, had they ever been reported by a certain governmental body. And it's nowhere on this individual record. It's nowhere to be found. So it would never come up with this prospective employer. No way it could ever come up. What do you do then? Friends told this individual, don't put it down. Don't put it down. But he remembered what we talked about last week. He remembered what we talked about last week, and he said, I've got to be a truth teller. I can't be a deceiver. I can't be a liar, because that's what the outsiders do. I'm an insider. And so he put down the truth on the paper. That's the good works that the Lord is talking about. He will be rewarded. He might not get the job here. Who knows? But I guarantee you there will be a day where the real king will say, that's my son. Come up here before all your brothers and sisters. This is my son. My character lived inside of him in a dark world. Another person called up and said, you've got to really pray for me. You've got to really pray for me because as we talked last week, you talked about not being a slave to anyone. Being able to have balance in our lives because Jesus is our king. And so we don't just be controlled by the American capitalistic system. And he talked about the fact that in his particular job situation, his boss is killing him. And he's killing everyone that works underneath him. They're working 24-7, 365. The guy, the guy was sharing with me how it's just breaking him. It's breaking his family. And the Lord spoke to him last week and said, you're free. I'll provide for your needs. You can go ahead and interview with your boss and lay out before your boss that priorities are wrong, that you're killing some of the best people because he's in a very high-level management position and he's responsible for those that are underneath him. And the Lord moved him to do the good thing of going to a boss and pointing out a more humane way of living in the marketplace. Brothers and sisters, that's the real Holy Spirit generating good things inside of us. Amen? That's what I want you to understand. And I want you to understand, every one of you, it might not look like it works in school today. It might not look like it works in business today. It might not look like it works in your political career today. But I want you to know something. Jesus, in the end, is going to show up. And it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And when he talks about this brother that, that, was, that was saved so as by fire, that's a brother that really has come to know Christ there in 1 Corinthians 3. He really doesn't know Jesus. But he wanders away from Jesus and he begins to live for many other things. And Paul is affirming the, the preciousness of Jesus' promise that once you've received the good work of Jesus in your life, he's going to complete it. But he talks about a believer in 1 Corinthians 3 that doesn't let Jesus do much work in this life, that doesn't let Jesus really keep generating a good character. And he talked about them almost being snatched from the fires of the lake of fire. And I want to challenge you, that is a big warning. 
I don't want you to have to go to heaven by the skin of your teeth with the smell of hell upon you. It's serious business. Brothers and sisters, we live in a day where believers in our churches have divorced this intimacy with Jesus from ethics. You cannot do that. You cannot say, I believe in Jesus deep in my soul. I know I've received him in my life. I just act like the devil. You can't consistently do that. That can't be the love and the drive of your heart. And if it is, you need to very seriously ask yourself, have I really met the king? Have I really allowed the crucified Christ to wash my sins away? Have I really received this new resurrected life? This is serious business. And if, and if you genuinely have received him, I don't want you to feel guilty and I don't want you to be afraid. If you have genuinely invited Jesus into your heart, I am not telling you that you'll never wrestle with evil. In fact, one of the sure signs that you are saved is that you are wrestling with evil and it bothers you. But if it doesn't bother you today and you can sit here and listen to Revelation and you can go out and just live like the devil, then John's not going to give you much certainty of where you really stand. It's very, very important. In the book of Revelation, John always is committed to the grace of Jesus. And it's always the grace of Jesus alone, the new life of Jesus alone, that generates new life. And it's never done apart from him. And we're never separated from him. But I want you to know that that grace of Jesus does make real, objective, powerful changes in life. And if it doesn't, we need to go back and talk about what about this vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus. What is your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you listening to make real, objective changes in your life? I pray that each of you will be able to say, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and that he rose again the third day from the dead. I've invited him into my life. Revelation closes with a gracious invitation that anyone who wants to can drink freely from the life-giving water that Jesus alone can provide. Why not pray right now and invite Jesus to come in and live inside your life? If you have placed your confidence for eternal life in Jesus alone, you can be confident that he has made you an insider in the kingdom of heaven forever.